0: All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 53 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. I am Josh Cannon flying solo. What? We have never done a podcast solo in the history of this show. And first of all, I already screwed up the intro because I said we have never done a podcast. How, how the fuck would you, how would would we do something solo, Josh? Usually solo is singular, not we. So normally Mike would be laughing right now and he'd say, oh, hey, I'm Mike. Uh, you know, I, I wear knee socks and sandals and etc. whatever he says. I don't know what he says, but uh yeah, apparently he's suffering from wussyitis and he's got a sore throat. So, uh, so I guess he can't talk. I mean, sore throats are pretty bad, though. Uh, I, I have. I mean, if they get like to the level of strep throat, they're they're absolutely miserable. So, I mean, I feel for him. Get better soon, Mike. I'm here for you, buddy. I'm holding down the fort. So yeah, just me today or tonight or whenever you're listening to this. I don't know your life. Um, I hope that's okay with everybody. Is that okay? Just, I want you to audibly answer right now in your car, or wherever you're at, just, you know, even though it'll be out of context and people will be like, what are you talking about? Just be like, yes, Josh, it's okay, you can do it by yourself. All right, then, I will. Um, so, what have I been doing lately? Uh, honestly, ever since I did the album and I released a new YouTube video, one of my more higher production ones on the uh, Adam Sandler comedy CDs... Uh, which you can check out my YouTube channel by going to youtube.com/dancingwithghosts. Ever since I did all that stuff, uh, I've just kind of been taking it easier, I guess. I haven't really been putting a bunch of workload on myself mentally. I've just been—I don't know—I just just kind of taking it easy. That's all I can really say. Um, and I'm already getting driven crazy from it because I'm I'm just like, okay, you know, what am I supposed to be doing now? I'm supposed to be working on something. I got to figure it out. Uh, but actually, uh, recently I've been trying to get a damn dentist appointment because I have health insurance. I've been paying on this dental health plan, uh, through Obamacare. And I don't know if you guys know about that or not outside of the United States, which apparently we have listeners outside of the United States. I actually posted something on our Facebook group today, uh, uh, cause we host our podcast through SoundCloud and, um, our biggest play count has been this week from Ga- Gamelby, Sweden. Got 68, I don't know, plays or listens. I don't know how the hell SoundCloud, like what these statistics mean. And in second place, we have Warsaw, Poland. So, uh, yeah, two the two main cities that are listening to us are not in the United States for once. That's weird. But anyway, Obamacare. I got health insurance. Do that, and I'm not here to bash Obamacare or to praise it like it's the best thing ever. Uh, I think it's pretty cool that I can get a health care plan because I'm a DJ, guys. I <laughs> there's no uh, DJ Dental or DJ Health Health United or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and obviously, being the United States, there's no universal health care plan. So. Usually, if you want health insurance of any kind, it has to come through your employer. But with Obamacare, you're able to take out an individual policy. And mine is affordable. Uh, I don't know about you. I don't know what you're paying on yours. I've heard some horror stories, and I've heard some awesome stories about it. So I'm not here to get into politics about it. But I'm trying to use this damn dental plan. I'm trying to call around and see who carries it. And it's like nobody in Jacksonville seems like they carry this dental plan. And I got this filling that I need to get filled and uh it's just a pain in the ass and um I'm also looking for a new psychologist I can start going to see because I mean let's face it folks you've heard the podcast I'm fucked in the head you know what I mean I, I got issues I need to talk to somebody I need guidance you know nothing nothing in particularly sticks out but I don't know I just feel like it'd be a good idea for me personally uh to go to see somebody um you know, life coaching is a form of psychology and some of the top, um, professionals, uh, CEOs of these fortune 500 companies, they all have either a life coach or a psychologist or whatever. So it's not just for people who are crazy, you know, uh, I know there's some stigma out there against, uh, therapists and all that. It's actually, uh, I think a good idea for a lot of people. I think a lot of people could benefit from talking to somebody who can guide them in the right directions in their thinking. Um, so I've been doing that, and I actually ran into an awkward moment living, living on my own here in this uh, this house of mine. I ran into an awkward situation in my neighborhood recently. Uh, I want you guys' opinions on this badly, okay? Because I want to know, am I being uh, Uncle Scrooge here, or is this guy a meth head? That's how I'm beginning the story. So uh, my neighbor uh, cuts yards for a living okay this guy looks like he's in his late 50s early 60s don't worry i'm gonna get to the unsolved mystery stuff just give me a second here this is the chit chat that i have to fill in for due to mike's absence so anyway um This guy was like in his late 50s, early 60s, and he he cuts yards, and seemingly that's his only form of income, and he lives across the street from me, and I guess he's rooming with his neighbor or something, or, or not his neighbor, but he's rooming with his friend or something, or maybe they're gay lovers. I don't fucking know the situation, nor do I care, but anyway, he comes over to my house a few months ago, and he knocks on my door. First of all, I fucking hate it when people knock on my door. If I'm not expecting you, if you haven't told me that you're coming over, and I just hear a random, I hate that. That scares the shit out of me, first of all, because I'm like, who the fuck is here? What do they want? Do they Are they meaning me harm? You know, do I need to grab my baseball bat and have it by the door, you know, behind the door? Like, yeah, how can I help you? Just clutching the baseball bat, waiting to, you know. So... I open the door, and he's like,
1: hey, man, I, I, I saw you uh, come in there. I just want to let
0: you know that uh, I, I, I mow lawns, man. I, I, mow, I mow your neighbor's lawn. I mow this person. And he starts pointing to all these people's lawns that he takes care of around the neighborhood. And, you know, he caught me off guard, so I was like, nah, man, I, I'll, I no thanks. You know, I got it. But then, oh, excuse me. Oh, is that an edit? Is that already an edit? No, fuck it. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, fuck it, I'll make it an edit, 724, god damn it, already with the fucking edits, Jesus Christ, can't even blame Mike this time. So he caught me off guard, and I was like, no, no thanks, man, you know, that's that's fine, I got it, you know. But then, like, in Jacksonville, dude, we've had the craziest rainstorms lately. Like, every fucking day it has been pouring. Like, seriously, we've become Seattle, Washington, or London, or something. Like, it is the rain has been off the chain over here. If my white ass can use that word. I think I can. Uh, I just did. So the grass grew, grow faster, right? The, it rained a lot and a lot of sunshine and shit. The grass grew faster and my backyard became a jungle. So I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe it would be easier just to pay this guy. And by the way, he said he'd do it for 20 bucks. Okay. He 20 bucks, man. I'll, I'll make it look real good. Just give me 20 bucks. All right. So $20 he'll do it. So uh, I'm like, you know, it'd be so much easier just to give this guy $20 and and have him come mow my lawn rather than me uh, trying to get my mom to throw the lawnmower in the back of her SUV, travel across town, bring it up. It's just just a whole thing, a whole pain in the ass. And she usually makes me mow my brother's lawn to who lives in the vicinity of me. And it's just like this whole favors for favors bullshit. And it's just like, I'd rather just pay someone money and have it done. Uh, Obviously, my... Ideal situation would be for me to mow my own lawn my own lawnmower, but I'm renting this house, so I'm not going to invest in a damn lawnmower. Anyway, long story short, this guy ends up mowing my lawn. A few days ago. Let's say he mows my lawn like Sunday. Fine, good. Good job, buddy. Left the money under the mat. He took the money. Good. As far as I'm concerned, this transaction is over. But it wasn't over, sadly. Um Tuesday morning, he's he comes knocking on my damn door. It's 11 a.m. I work at nights, basically. I'm a DJ. I don't get in sometimes till 2 a.m. I don't go to bed till 5 a.m. So, you know, he's waking me up. Why is he waking me up? So I open the door, and he's standing there, and he's like, Hey, man, when I, when I mowed your lawn a few days ago, man, your, your grass was really high, and he does, like, the hand gesture to, to motion how high the grass was. Yeah, and he, I, had to, I had to make three separate trips over to your yard to get the grass cut. Now, I don't know what he meant by that, three separate ter- uh, trips. The guy lives across the street. What does that mean? I don't know if he had, like, a garbage, collect like a grass collection attachment on the lawnmower and maybe he had to empty that out three times. I don't know. But all this shit that he's saying is... Uh, Kind of not, not my problem, everything he's saying so far. And then at the end, he has the fucking nerve to ask me for more money. He goes, oh, I was wondering if you could just get, you know, kick me a little bit more money, man, because that just, that really took a lot longer. You know, that grass was really long back there. Now, granted, yes, the grass was really long, but you also have to remember the fact that this is a, a backyard in a fucking neighborhood. It's not big. It's not a big backyard. It's a small backyard. I gave you 20 bucks. You cut the grass. It's done. Our business transaction's over. You said 20. You didn't say, oh, it depends on how long the grass is. You didn't uh, knock on my door the day of and say, hey, man, I'm going to need more money for a job this big. You waited two whole days to come back and ask me for more money. Now, what does that sound like to you out there, listener? That sounds like a drug addict, doesn't it? He ran out of money for his crack rock or his meth hit or whatever it was. And so, what does he do? He goes, Well, you know what? I did mow that guy's lawn a few days ago, and it was a lot. uh, He had tall grass, so maybe I can go to his house and sucker him into giving me, you know, 10 more bucks or something like that. And at first, you know, since he caught me off guard and I just wanted him to go away, I was like, Yeah, I don't have any cash on me right now, but I'll hit you up later. And I, I honestly was going to. But then the more I thought about it throughout the day I was like, man, fuck this guy. He said $20 to cut my yard. I gave him $20. Transaction over. See you later. I mean, the whole the whole time here, like my whole objective was to save myself some time by just having this guy cut my lawn. But as much hassle and and you know me, I'm I'm a very OCD I, I, I a person. I overthink everything. So it was driving me nuts all yesterday about, oh, I gotta, owe, I owe this guy money, is he going to come back to my house, you know, I'm overthinking everything, and just the hassle of, of this whole ordeal has been such a pain in the ass, I would have just, if I could have gone back in time, I would have never approached him about cutting my grass, and I would have just got, you know, the lawnmower from my parents and just done it that way, and just... D- and see, more of the story, do everything your own damn self, as much as you can, if you can. Do it yourself. That's what I've stuck to my whole fucking life, and that's what I still try to stick to nowadays. Any, I hate favors. I hate asking people for favors. I hate asking people for help. Uh, I hate borrowing anything from anybody. I, I want to have my own stuff. You know why? Because you don't got to deal with crap like this when that happens. So now I have this neighbor across the street who's probably butt hurt that I haven't given him more money. And now I got that to think about. And, and at this point, it's kind of just become the principle of the matter. Like, now I don't want to give him money just based on the principle of the matter. Like, I know you're trying to hustle me right now. Because if you really thought the yard was that difficult to cut, you would have asked for that money right after you were done or right before you started. You wouldn't have waited two days and said, oh, by the way, hey, can I get some more money? Nah nah you're trying to hustle me i know it when i see it anyway that is plenty enough chit chat for me let's get to the stories here now you guys have been super awesome and uh patient and uh you know all that good stuff sorry i'm getting up right now oh cool lawnmower with guys back across the street and he's mowing his own lawn now don't be surprised if you hear a knock at my door during this podcast. Seriously, like I bet he's gonna knock on my door, and and because he had he wasn't home all yesterday, and I bet he's gonna try to hit me up for money while like while I'm on this podcast it wouldn't surprise me. But anyway, um, yeah, so it's like the last three podcasts we've done have all been like different in their own ways. Um, last podcast we talked about the West Memphis Three. And um, I liked it. I liked the documentaries. I liked that we talked about like one single thing, like one theme, you know, that was pretty cool. Um, I feel like we probably could have done a better job in giving an overall synopsis of what exactly this case was about because we kind of just jumped into it and we didn't really, we didn't really say for people who knew nothing about it, we didn't really say like what what was this case really at like a basic plot synopsis, you know, uh, we just kind of dove into it and like assuming people kind of knew. So, so that next one we do, uh, we will do a better job on doing uh, a synopsis. Um, and then we had our 50th, uh, podcast before that. So it's, and now I'm doing a solo one. So it's like the last three have been like very different. So anyway, um, Our first story that we're going to start out with, since I'm the captain of this here vessel right now, uh, it's going to be a big, fat UFO story, because, damn it, I am tired of talking about dead bodies and murders and this, that, and the other. Not saying that uh, I'm going to stop talking about forever, but I want to talk about some UFO shit. (laughs) That's what I like. That's what I'm into. So, uh, it would be awesome if I could do that now, you know? Because, you know, with UFOs, no one really gets hurt. It's just mysterious, you know, and it gives you them goosebumps. Like, that's what I like is that, you know, like the, I'm sorry, when I watched the West Memphis 3 and it starts off showing three dead bodies of three little kids and you know that you're watching news footage and it's not, or police footage and it's not like a movie. Yeah, that, that's disturbing, you know what I mean? Like, now I want to talk about some UFOs. This is the uh, Socorro UFO. This was on the Ultimate Collection. Uh, I really like this case. It's just a... um, no frills, just just good old UFO case. Um, It's a very early UFO case too. And I'd say what makes this one unique is that a police official is the guy who encountered this situation. And, you know, it, it just it just gives it a little bit more credibility because a police officer generally is not going to be somebody who is going to be easily excitable and easily exaggerate a situation. You know, they're going to be, you know, factual and, you know, just the facts kind of stuff. They're going to try to be objective and this, that and the other, especially with something like a UFO. You know what I mean? Like if, if it's if it's some like. Yeah, you know, we see in the news like the police beatings and this, that, and the other and, and how the police were kind of corrupt and maybe they had uh, ulterior motives for why they had to cover stuff up or whatever. But but in this case, it's like it, he's just describing a bizarre thing that happened. There's no, There's nothing in it for him, basically is what I'm trying to say. There's nothing in it for him, for this police officer, Lonnie Zamora, which was his name, there's nothing in it for him Uh, for him to lie about this. So, here we go. On April 24th, 1964. Told you this was an old one. Good lord, 1964. In the small town of Socorro, New Mexico, police officer Lonnie Zamora spotted a local teenager speeding through town. Those damn
1: teenagers
0: and their hot rods. And their jazz music. Uh, Was that Bill Cosby or an old man? I don't know. I guess it's one in the same now. Motherfuckers like 80 years old at least. Uh, Officer Zamora followed the teenager to the edge of Socorro and out into the desert. Zamora had no idea the strange twist his life was about to take. Now, it's it's statements like that that, again, is why I love Unsolved Mysteries. It's like, they could have just said he followed him out into the desert, but then they have to add in the poetry of Zamora had no idea the strange twist his life was about to take. Only they didn't flub the line like I just did then. So, quoting Zamora here, I could see a white object to my left there. I thought it was a turned-over car. When I got up on top of the mesa there, I looked down and I saw this big white object on the ground. I thought I could see something around the craft there. I could see some figures. Looked like they were walking around the craft. End quote. According to Lonnie, there were red markings on the hull, a vertical arrow with a horizontal line beneath it and a crescent-shaped line above it. Lonnie tried to radio police headquarters, but was was not able to break through the heavy static. After hearing two metallic sounds, like doors clanging shut, Lonnie said he noticed the small figures were gone. Quote, I saw this flame come up from underneath it. Then I ran back behind the car and went up two, twenty, thirty feet up in the air. Then it went up two, twenty, thirty feet in the air? Okay, whatever. Whatever you say, Lonnie. It just stayed up there for a while, and then finally it took off slowly to the west. At first, you know, after I got my senses, I said, D- did I see it or didn't I, you know? What happened, you know? End quote. You know? Um, with his radio now static-free, Lonnie called an old friend, Sergeant Sam Chavez of the New Mexico State Police, and told him to hurry to the site. Quote, I could tell that Lonnie was excited and probably scared. Lonnie Zamora, he's a very dependable, honest type of person. He's not one to create or make stories or build things up to make it exciting or anything like that. End quote. When Sam arrived, he and Lonnie noticed what looked like landing marks on the ground. Quote, We found some indentation on the ground where this thing had landed, and the marks in the ground were 9 inches deep, 8 inches long, and 9 inches wide. I started looking for tracks, human tracks, but the only thing I found were impressions on the ground that were made by a perfect circle, but I found no human tracks, no shoe prints. So these motherfucking aliens are walking around with circle shoes, okay guys? Now, you want to talk about, like, all the violations if you worked in the health or the restaurant industry wearing circle shoes? I mean, those aren't non-slip. Those have no traction whatsoever. I mean, I don't know what planet they're from, but here, I mean, you got to have a little bit more design to your shoe print than just a circle. Moving on. U.S. Army officials at the nearby White Sands Missile Range sent Captain Richard T. Holder to investigate. Quoting him, he says, My first impression was that it was something from the range that needed possible help you know first aid attention or at best security the more i got into it the less convinced i was that that was the case holder noticed the unusual marks left in the sand and a burned bush or a bush burned to a crisp only on one side quote everything we saw seemed to support the story that officers Zamora more recounted nothing gave me the slightest hint that he did this as a hoax or cooked it up for fame or fortune after an investigation, the Air Force agreed that Lonnie saw something, but they insisted that it must have been a secret military aircraft. UFO, and, uh, UFO expert and author Jerome Clark said the official explanation doesn't hold water. Quote, They were never able to find any such evidence that any such thing was being tested at the time. And, in fact, even today, not an iota of evidence has emerged to support the claim. Nonetheless, the Air Force line on the case is... This is a credible witness. He clearly saw some kind of structured flying vehicle and that it must have been something that we built, even if we can't find it anywhere, end quote. Air Force officials brought in Dr. J. Allen Hynek, a respected astronomer and consultant on Project Blue Book, the Air Force's official study of the UFO phenomenon. Dr. Hynek found the physical evidence convincing, but according to Jerome Clark, the most persuasive argument was Lonnie Zamora himself, quote, Dr. Hynek was enormously impressed by Lonnie Zamora. He thought there was virtually no possibility of a hoax. He expressed huge disdain for the Blue Book handling of the report, and he said it was clear that the story that the Blue Book had cooked up about this possibly being some kind of experimental aircraft was a story that even Blue Book knew to be untrue, which was invented to keep Congress from harassing the Air Force, end quote. How do we explain what Lonnie Zamora saw? No matter what others believe, Lonnie has had no doubt that what he witnessed was not of this earth. And on, uh, Lonnie ends the segment by saying, If they want to believe me, good. If they don't believe me, that's all right too. So that is uh, that is this case in a nutshell. Um, the segment was really good. The segment was really well done, well shot. Um, you know, you, you kind of get a little bit of that... Um, that, that poor CGI rendering of the uh, UFO that we've come to expect from Unsolved Mysteries. But actually, I feel like the UFO that they rendered on this episode was better than some of the other ones. Um, you know, did it look like it fit in the scenery? No, not really. But it, it, it did have this kind of like mirror finish metallic surface to it that looked pretty real, and, and it, the, it was like reflecting the scenery around it. So, I mean, they did an okay job on the uh, CGI uh, UFO there. Um, I don't know. I like this story. It was just really simple. And, and like I said before, I mean, you know, this guy has no reason to lie. He's not trying to get any fame or fortune by doing this. He's a police officer, you know. He had probably, I imagine, had been one for a while. So, I mean, he saw something that he couldn't explain. And uh, they do a good job in the segment of conveying this guy's excitement, you know, when he sees it. He was all freaked out and everything when he got on the, uh, the uh, CB and radioed uh, his friend to come, come by. But uh, I, I think also in this segment, if I'm remembering correctly, um, uh, it was one of those cases. If you're playing our uh, Unexplained Mysteries drinking game, it was one where the Air Force uh, ref- declined to comment. So, yeah, go ahead and take a shot. <laughs> of course they declined to comment. Actually, uh, on the synopsis of this uh, story on unsolved.com, I just saw here at the bottom, they're starting to put, watch this case now on Amazon Prime in season one with Dennis Farina and coming soon with Robert Stack, also available on YouTube with Dennis Farina. Oh, gross. Who gives a shit about the Dennis Farina ones? No one wants those. think i might have met i think there's one person i met who listens to our podcast who said that they watched the dennis farina ones and they had never seen the robert stack ones and hey fair enough i mean if that's all you've known then i can't spite you for that but i have never met someone who has seen the dennis farina unsolved mysteries and said oh yeah no no Farina's where it's at uh i've seen both robert stack and dennis farina and uh yeah farina is where it's at You'd have to be crazy. Um, I do want some of those circle shoes, though, that those aliens apparently had in this story. Um, That that would be pretty awesome. Uh, Definitely not ergonomic in any way, shape, or form, though, so you'd probably develop horrible back pains after wearing them for a little bit. All right, up next we have the story of Ray Hickenbotham. Um, This was a request, and again... Do you, do you think I know who the request was from? No, I don't. Because I just take the request, people. I don't actually write down your names, of who requested what. So somebody at some point wanted us to talk about Ray Higginbotham. So um, I'm trying to narrow this request list down. By the way, if you want to make a request, um, you can make it anywhere. Uh, you can make it on our Facebook group, which is um, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Just go to the groups section on Facebook and search that. Um, you can... Like us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You can make it there. I'm trying to think where else. Oh, also, uh, we have a YouTube page, which I also believe is youtube.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. And literally all it is right now is just uh, old episodes of the podcast I'm trying to upload. I don't know. For some reason, some people really like listening to our podcast on YouTube. I don't know why they would go with that over... Um, you know, uh, iTunes or Google play or whatever, but Hey, whatever floats your boat, but yeah, you can make a suggestion anywhere. Um, so yeah, Ray Higginbotham. So let's get, let's get into this case in September of 1945. At the end of world war II, Lieutenant Ray Higginbotham settled down with his wife, Dorothy and three-year-old daughter, Carol in Arlington, Virginia. A decorated war hero, Ray was assigned to Army Intelligence. The base housed a top-secret radio operation. Ray may have been part of a select group of expert code breakers. His assignment was monitoring radio communications be- from behind the Iron Curtain. It was the beginning of the Cold War. Oh, the Iron Curtain—that's that's an old-school name for uh, Soviet Russia. Former CIA operative John Stockwell explains, "It's a good ulcer job." <laughs> I love that line. It's a good ulcer job. If you want an ulcer, this is a good job for that. Sorry, he goes on to say, you're sitting at a desk, you're not mobile, you can't get up. I've seen them scream sometimes in just physical frustration, you know, trying to ventilate their frustration while they continue plodding away with this boring but potentially incredibly fascinating job. Jeez, that would suck, man. I couldn't stand a job like that. What am I talking about? I have a job like that tonight at my karaoke gig. This particular gig tonight, it's four hours, and um, the people there aren't like that into karaoke, so I just have to stand in one spot for four hours. Now, you may say four hours is a long time. Your job's easy. You're a pussy. You don't, you're not doing manual labor like me. Therefore, you're not as valid. But I say to you, sir, boredom is much more... Of a torture than um, some some manual labor or some other jobs, um, boredom is a very uh, psychologically torturous thing. So, even though um, it's not hard work, it, it can psychologically be just be really uh, just painful sometimes. So, anyway, in less than a year, Ray and his group were absorbed into the newly created Central Intelligence Agency, A.K.A. CIA. Party in the USA. Ray was working long hours and spending little time with his family. In the summer of 1947, he was transferred to another top secret group, but he didn't tell Dorothy about the new assignment. Ray's daughter, Carol Solstead, remembers her father's demeanor at the time. My mother was worried because he seemed so tired and so uptight. He became very tense and it became worse. It just got worse and worse. Late that summer, Dorothy took Carol to Long Island for a three-week visit with her grandparents. When Dorothy tried to phone Ray, she was given the surprising news that he had gone on leave. Then she learned that the military had, without explanation, hired a moving crew to clean out their apartment. What the fuck? Two weeks later, a moving van showed up to Dorothy's parents' house. In the boxes and trunks, there was not one single item belonging to Ray. Ray's daughter recalls the incident. No pictures, no letters, no writing, nothing. It was as though he had been purged from our lives, as though he was completely gone and wiped out. And my mother just didn't know what to make of it. A month later, a man claiming to be from the army visited Dorothy with shocking news. He said that on October 14, 1947, Ray was listed as AWOL. That is, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, away without honorable leave, I believe. Or no, it's away without official leave, I want to say. 30 days later, he was dropped from the military roles and classified as a deserter, one who loves desserts. No, I'm just joking. Someone who abandons the military without proper leave. As a result, Dorothy and Carol lost all of their military benefits. And if you are in the United States and you are married to a military man or military woman, um, those are some pretty sweet benefits. I got to say, I know people who will uh, have a sham marriage, they'll just get married to someone in the military uh, because you get paid more and you get all these health benefits and all this awesome shit. Uh, actually, one of my exes was mar- quote-unquote married to this guy in the military, and they were both benefiting from it, so it's not like one was using the other. They, it, there was a mutually beneficial agreement between two people. It's fraudulent as all get as all hell. I mean, I'm sure if the government... Uh, found out about it you know, they could be in a lot of trouble but again, how do you, if they're officially married on paper, you know what what can what can the government really say, you know what I mean um, the only caveat with that is you just kind of have to go around telling any, any new girl or guy you meet uh, yeah, I'm technically married, but uh, it's just so I can get money and benefits from the government uh, it's, I'm not really even in love with this person, we haven't even had sex so, you know if, if the other person's okay with that, which, I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't be, it'd be like, oh, hell yeah, man, you're working the system. Um, so anyway, they lost their military benefits. Uh, Dorothy later tried to get in touch with the visitor, who said they were from the army, but the army said that they had never heard of him. Wow, that is sketchy. <laughs> um Carol Solstead says her mother always felt that the government knew more than that they were telling. No, not our government. Our government always is 100% transparent and they say everything they know. And they're full disclosure to the public all the time. What are you talking about? Anyway, she's quoted as saying, My mother was alone. She was frightened and she was afraid something terrible had happened to my father. Perhaps he'd gone overseas and been killed in the line of duty. She could not comprehend that he would just disappear. She really thought the government was withholding information from her. Former CIA operative John Stockwell thinks those fears are not overblown. It is absolutely not total paranoia to wonder if the CIA or another intelligence branch had something to do with his disappearance. I can think of a half a dozen cases where weird things like that happened, where the family was not told the truth and the loved one did disappear or died and they weren't told how they died. After Ray was labeled a deserter, Carol and her mother struggled to make ends meet. Carol grew up, married, and moved to Oklahoma. She became a private investigator specializing in reuniting families, but she never gave up on the search for her own father. Quoting her saying here, uh, As I looked through the material that I received, I began to get a picture of someone very special, someone very highly trained, someone who had performed at the top level, and I came to believe that this was a man who would not just disappear. After years of butting heads with government bureaucracy, Carol finally went to the media. An article about her missing father appeared in the local Arlington newspaper. 3 hours later, she received a phone call. The caller identi- identified himself by a code name, Archangel. Kind of a badass code name. Also a badass uh, character from the X-Men comic books. He provided Carol with what seemed like inside information Quote, he said that my article had really rattled cages at the CIA. Ooh it was kind of scary, uh, and that it really shook people up. Those were his words. Archangel told Carol that her father had been investigating sensitive leaks regarding atomic energy. He said that in August of 1947, an attempt was made on Ray's life, so a decision was made for Ray to go underground while making it look like he had been a deserter. But the most astonishing news revealed by Archangel was that for nearly a year, Ray had lived only three miles away from Carol and her mother. He had been hidden by the government in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. He told Carol that her father was currently living in a NATO country and that his name was now Nelson. Carol didn't know what to make of Archangel. Quote When I hung up the phone, I felt very drained. Maybe he was a jokester or a con carn artist. Carn artist. Con artist? Con artist? whatever. Maybe he was going to call back and want money. Hey, I've dealt with someone coming back and wanting money just recently in my life. I just didn't know what to believe, but there was a part of me that kept saying, my dad's alive, there's a chance. Carol never heard from the mysterious caller again, but she and her son Ian have never stopped trying to decipher Archangel's clues. It is possible that my father chose to follow his career and that that was what he wanted above all else, including myself and our family. And that's very painful. I have compassion for a young man who may have made a wrong choice. We all make wrong choices, and I want my father to know that we love him and that it's forgotten. We just want the pain of not having him to end. Ugh, geez, that's a that's a rough one. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Like, why would you start a family and? Just, I mean, do people do that? Do people start families? Do they get married? Do they have a kid and they get so involved in their work that they just abandon their family and they just leave their family? I mean, okay. I, I, could, I could understand if he was only married and, or like he only had a wife or, or girlfriend or something and he just left her. That I un- 100% understand. But... W- <laughs> Jeez, that didn't sound bitter at all. <laughs> I totally get why someone wanted to do that. Um, but, I mean, when you bring a kid into this situation, I mean, you you are officially a douchebag if you abandon that kid. Um, I mean, that's that's just not cool. And, I mean, I guess the only way that I could, like, see his situation is if he was working on something that was just so top secret and so... Uh, integral to the protection of the United States that he just had to do that and he couldn't tell anybody. Cause you know, I mean, if he, if he told his wife, she'd talk eventually. I mean, nobody can just shut the fuck up about something. That's a problem with people nowadays. Um, I feel like there was a time in the past where people just kept their fucking mouth shut about stuff. You know what I mean? Like nobody shuts their mouth anymore. Like as soon as you tell somebody something, they got to tell someone else. They got to, you know, it's like their lives are so uninteresting that by them having a juicy detail about someone else, it just gives you a conversation point with somebody else. It's kind of something that people with like low, like like insecure people would do, I almost feel like, you know, it's like, you're so insecure that you got to gossip about other people to like get a conversation started because you're not interesting enough yourself. Or maybe I'm projecting, and that's how I am. It's a possibility. Um, So this case remains unresolved and unexplained. After the broadcast, Unsolved Mysteries received over 250 tips relating to this case. Two of the calls received were from men claiming to be former CIA members. Both men gave information similar to what Carol received from Archangel in his call. However, it is unknown if either man uh, was confirmed to be the informant. Interestingly, the FBI requested transcripts from the phone calls that the Teller received about the case. Uh, that is definitely something that wouldn't happen if this was all a hoax. When the case was re aired in June of 1990, a tipster from the New Hampshire Con. From the New Hampshire? The New Hampshire! It's the New Hampshire, not the old one. A tipster from New Hampshire contacted the telecenter claiming that Ray was alive and living in South America. He claimed to have seen the picture of Carol and her parents on the man's wall in his South American home. Okay, so maybe there is some some connection there still with this man. Uh, however, it is unknown if uh, this information was ever confirmed. Sadly, Carol Solsted Higginbotham passed away in 2014 and in her obituary, her father, w- Ray, was listed as predeceasing her. However, it is unknown if his true fate was ever determined. Okay, so she's dead. Um, wow. That 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 is the sad thing about this show, guys. Is t- this is what happens, man? This is an old show. You know what can you say? This show was fr- started out in the late '80s and it went through up until the early 2000s. But I mean, you know, some of these early cases like this. This is obviously from um, one of the first few seasons here. It first aired January 17th, 1990. So I'd have to put that at like the second second season, maybe third at the absolute latest. No, nah, that's got to be second season. So yeah, wow. I I honestly didn't know that until I just read that just then. That is um, that's a bummer. She's dead. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, sorry, I keep... It sounds like I'm getting up. I, I'm honestly like, I keep looking out my window because like my neighbor is across the street is over there. And, and he's got me in the state of paranoia now because I'm like, when is he going to come over and knock on my door again and ask for more money? It's like, part of me is like, just pay him the fucking money and just be done with it. But then it's kind of like the principle of the matter, you know? It's like the on principle, I don't want to give this guy more money because we agreed to 20 and he shouldn't be getting anymore anyway sorry a little paranoid kind of how i am i i overthink things and i fucking obsess about it this is why i do shit on my own so i don't have to think about this kind of shit um say shit one more time josh okay um so wow all right so this this lady who i've been focusing on for this case isn't even alive anymore so I guess it's kind of a moot point at this at this juncture in the story. Well, cause you know if she's dead, you know her mom's gotta be dead. You know what's weird is when you see when you when you hear of an old person or you see an old person and you find out that their their parents are still alive or their mom's still alive. Like, how nuts was it when John McCain was running for president against Obama and you find out his mom is still alive. <laughs> john mccain's like 80 his mom must be a centurion or centurion centenarian or whatever the term is for people who are 100 years old plus like holy crap so maybe the mom's still alive but i doubt it um yeah this guy ray higginbotham uh lieutenant ray higginbotham i don't know i don't know how like I it's like how does somebody like that just straight up abandon their family but then again it's like if this guy is working on shit that's as secret as they were making it out to be I mean that's just the price that you pay there must be some kind of a contract you sign when you get to that level of military to where you probably sign something that says you know in the rare event that we stumble upon some kind of a uh, something that's going to uh, be of intricate value to the uh, security of the United States you might have to be required to leave your family for an uh, unknown period of time you know what I mean like there's got to be something like that They, they there has to be some kind of because uh, I, I just can't imagine that, that you would be sent in there to the military just and that's just something that comes up. Oh, by the way, um, we're going to need you to stay here a little bit later at your job tonight. Well, okay, how much How, how much later do you want me to stay? Uh, for the next 30 years. Is that okay? And yeah, you, you can't tell your family about it. You know, I, we hope you understand. You know, like, that, that seems like, you know, that seems pretty fucked up. So I don't know if that's the case or not. But that's why I guess it remains an unsolved mystery, and we don't know what happened to him, and his daughter's dead, so I guess it's all moot at this point. As a moot point. Um, all right, moving on here. That was kind of depressing, but at least it wasn't nearly as brutal as the uh, West Memphis Three. Still trying to wash that whole thing out of my head. Uh, All right, now we are moving on to the point in the podcast um, where I'm going to do some fan stuff here. Fan, our listeners, our lovely listeners. Uh, First things first, I want to give a birthday shout out to Elena Pleonis. God, what happened to regular last names like Smith and Johnson? (laughs) Uh, I think it's Pleonis is how you pronounce it. Happy birthday. Uh, she's actually been listening to the podcast for a while, now. I think she was one of the early, like, one of the beginning listeners. She's turning 32 years old. Uh, I don't know, sometime soon, but happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. I'm oh, sorry. I will not go any further. That was disturbing. I'm instantly regretting that I did that. Um, so, also, we kind of had some... Um, some fan scary stories leak in from our, uh, 50th anniversary 50th. Good God. I hope I'm not doing this 50 more years. Um, I mean, uh, I, 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 hope I am. I love doing this. No, I'm just joking. Um, anyway, we had, uh, our 50th episode slash one year anniversary. We had this, um, email address where you, we had people send in either questions, comments, or scary stories, you know, just weird stories that happen to them. Uh, so, we had a few more leak in here, and I figured, you know, might as well read these, right? Because they're just, they're, they're, they're probably too good to let go to waste. Uh, if you want to send anything to this email address, by the way, it is um, dancingwithghosts and then the number two at yahoo.com. So that's dancingwithghosts 2 at yahoo.com if you have anything that you want to send us. And uh, maybe we'll read it on the podcast. And in this case, where it's just me going solo, and I'm just, like, needing something to lean on here to <laughs> help me out. Uh, yeah, then I'll, I'll definitely be reading it. Sorry, I'm just, like, looking through this email that she sent because she sent, like, an attachment here of this. Uh, okay, so this is a house. So this email comes from uh, Michelle Chouinard, uh whose name I'm probably mispronouncing. I, I think she um, had a pronunciation key of some kind in this email, but... Um, Okay, so, she's got, the first creepy story is really short. Me and my best friend were watching a scary movie. It was some sort of devil movie. Some sort of devil movie! Of the devil! And there was this part in the movie where the character yells out, if you really exist, give me a sign. And at that point, her VCR and TV shut down completely like we lost power, except we didn't lose power. Nothing in the house uh, or nothing in the apartment went off, and that was really creepy. Okay, that is a short story, and that is creepy. Uh, one could also say it's a coincidence. A very con- uh, convenient coincidence? I don't know. Uh, second story. So about six years ago, I was renting this house from this lady. I'm guessing that's the picture that she sent me. Uh, actually, a really cool-looking house. It's kind of got that old, rustic, yet you know still kept up with kind of look to it. Like the paint looks fresh on there, but it's like this old, rustic house. Like nothing better than an old house with new paint, what I always say. You can quote me on that. Take it to the bank. They won't cash it. Um, it She was renting this old house from this lady, and it was a really old house, and it was built in the early 1900s, much like my house I'm living in now. Uh, It was this small little creepy house that still had wooden doors and glass doorknob handles and everything. Oh, my God, I love houses like that. My grandma had a house like that where where they had the crystal doorknobs. I love that shit. It was straight out of a horror movie. Well, I don't like that. Uh, when we first moved in, we had issues with the basement door. Every morning, the basement door would be open. We thought maybe it was the air moving in through the house uh, when we would turn the handle. That definitely makes sense. That's uh, that's happened to me before. Uh, we decided that we would put a chair in front of the door, and that's where we kept it for the rest of the time that we lived there. The basement was really creepy, and the cement in the middle of the floor was etched 1941 Robert Cheatwood, which apparently was the guy who built the house a long time ago. There were parts of that basement that in three years I lived there, I never went into because they had this old jar cellar in the back that was so creepy that I couldn't even stand to go back there or even take a look at it. An old jar cellar. What the hell? I can only think of this old cobweb, dusty basement cellar that just has all these jars in it. That probably have like weird, dehydrated, dried up crap in there. Like, you know, old eyeballs and fingers and shit. She goes, I was afraid I was going to find some bodies or something in there. So I never went over there to that part, uh, that part of the basement. Then there's this part of the house that if you look at it from the outside, you can see a normal window, but there's no way that you can get to that window inside the house. Oh, that's so creepy. I love that. She goes, I'll attach a picture. It's the left window of the 2 circled. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, there's like two normal windows there. And she's saying there's no way you could get to those windows inside the house. Apparently at one point in time, they closed off that part of the stairwell so they could put in a door. So they closed off that part of the house. And there's no way you can get to that window from the inside of the house. I was always afraid I was going to look up in there one day and see somebody staring at me. And I always had the feeling but I could never actually say anything, so I tried as much as possible not to look at it. <laughs> this is whole, this is terrifying. The creepiest part, though, was one day I was talking to the neighbors across the street, and everybody in that area is kind of somehow related in one way or another. Are you sure this wasn't in the South? Uh, an aunt or cousin or whatever, and the lady said that her great aunt used to live there, and that the little girl was probably about ten years old. Looks up at me, and she says, "Don't be scared of Aunt Betty. She won't hurt a fly." It sent shivers through me. The final part of the story was my next-door neighbor. They told us they actually uh, that they actually have a ghost in their house. They said that every night, or most nights, they hear a ball bouncing down the stairs, almost like there's a little boy that just dropped his ball and it goes down one stair uh, to another, to another, to another, and it gets to the bottom and rolls away, and they said that they hear this at least several times a week, and that was really creepy, too, fuck that, bye, moving, not staying in that fucking house, um, yeah, not, not doing that, I mean, you, you guys realize if one, if one of these things happen to me in, in this house I'm living in now, I'm out, I'm outy outy 5,000, I'm out. Nothing's happened in this house, though. Nothing weird's happened. Although, I will say, yesterday when I woke up, I kept hearing this, like, thud sound in the living room, but I'm thinking it's a refrigerator, because the refrigerator, you know, it may, the refrigerators kind of make weird noises in general sometimes, but, I mean, nothing weird's happened here, so, um, you know. But, yeah, I can tell you, if it did, though, I'd, I'd be high telling it the fuck out. I couldn't do it, man. Um, so she goes on to say, you can share or not share, and blah, 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 blah. And I did share. Oh, okay. This is where she mount pro- that says how to pronounce her name. It's Schnard. Schnard? Schnard? Alrighty. Well, she says I can also call her Butt Munch. <laughs> all right, Butt Munch. Um, all right. The next story we have comes from Jesse Dart. Um... Hi, guys. I stumbled across your podcast recently on SoundCloud before a long drive home. Four hours later, and I was tired. She's, they. I don't know if this is a guy or a girl. It says, uh, four hours later, and I was tired of you at all. I think they meant to put wasn't tired of you. That'd be, fun, that'd be a funny way to break it to you. Four hours later, and I was tired of you at all. Doesn't make sense, but whatever. Since then, the podcast has been a welcome distraction when I'm experiencing my own unsolved mystery, mental illness. Aw, I'm sorry. I understand. Hey, trust me. I got a guy over here, myself, talking about, uh, you know, my uh, anxiety and OCD and shit. So I, I feel the struggle there. Uh, it's humbling to hear you boys talk so openly and casually about all sorts. It takes the stigma away and it helps everyone. Thank you. No, thank you. That's 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 awesome. That's, you know, I it blows my mind every day that people listen to this. So um, any kind of platform we have to talk about mental illness, I'm going to take it because, you know. It shouldn't be stigmatized. <laughs> so many people have it. They just don't even want to like admit it, you know, which is a, a shame, really. So anyway, uh, this person goes on to say, I'm in Australia, grew up in a small, sleepy coastal town called Portland in Victoria. Corin, you know, what's, you know, where that's at? Yeah, corn's one of our Australian listeners. Sorry. Sorry. I just mocked the accent. I wasn't mocking. I was actually really attempting to do it just then, but I always sound like JFK every time I do it. Australia. No new taxes. Massachusetts, if you elect like me for president. I don't know what the fuck that is. I need to stop right now. Uh, when I was... Anyway, they go on to say, when I was a few years old, there was a double homicide at a hairdresser's in the middle of my town. My friend's mom, Miss E, was employed at said salon, but was off on maternity leave. Miss E was meant to meet a co-worker for lunch. Co-worker didn't show up, so Miss E went to the salon, assuming an appointment had run long. Miss E hasn't told me directly, but she said she... Uh, She said she saw, but in a small town like Portland, people... Okay, hold on. Let's try that again, shall we? Let's try that whole sentence all over again. Miss E hasn't told me directly what she saw, but in a small town like Portland, population 8,000, question mark, people talk. Two women had been murdered. Blood everywhere. Their tongues had been cut out. Well, and here comes the disgusting shit that I thought I was avoiding this week. Um. I'd assume the killer would have blood on them, too, so how would that go unnoticed? The building is also on the corner of two of Portland's busiest streets with nosy people everywhere. Uh, I'll include some links because they'll uh, explain better than I can. It was just so damn fishy. Shortly after the murders, the dry cleaner went to the police and said uh, the husband of one of the victims had asked about removing blood stains, and the police didn't think it was worth looking into. Police also put a lot of pressure on a lo- young local man who was fighting his own battles with mental illness. I can't express this enough. Mud sticks in a town like Portland, so a lot of people thought he did it. Uh, same with the, hey, same with the West Memphis Three. That's exactly what they were going through. Small town, and, and the police needed a scapegoat. He committed suicide a little while later. Oh Jesus, it's horrible. Uh, the custom, uh, the customer, victim's son was a policeman and had apparently been involved with busting up some gangland crime in Melbourne uh, not long before the murders, too. Yada yada, the victim's husband died last year before the inquest was finished. Wow. Um, That's really interesting. So there's some links here about this. Uh, If you guys... Well, shit, I'll just post it anyway. I'll just, like, bookmark this real quick here. And, hey, this is a... This is an Australian website, so you guys will get a little bit of culture in your lives reading about this case. It's very interesting. Oh, it's got all kinds of pictures on here, too. Yeah, this is cool. I'll post this for sure. Um, so those were the uh, two stories that were sent to us. Again, if you want to send us your own story of a creepy thing that happened to you or any, if you want to send us anything, it's uh, Dancing with Ghosts, the number two at yahoo.com. Um... Now, before getting into the news of the bazaar for this week, um, you know, I just, I I oftentimes feel the need to do like a public service and really let you guys know about who your fellow listeners are. You know, because the the old saying, know who your neighbors are and don't ask them to mow your fucking lawn because then they're going to try to gouge you for more money after the fact. Okay, maybe that last part isn't in the original saying, but it should be, it should have been because I would have really, I could have really used that uh information before I ask this guy to mow my lawn. But anyway, um I feel like you guys should know your neighbors. And speaking of Australians, I mean I gotta tell you guys a story about one of our listeners, Tom Christenthal from Australia. Um there there's the, he confided the story in me to me. Um he didn't want me to tell anybody. But uh I'm sorry guys. I mean this is this is such a crazy story that I can't keep it to myself um so here we go um so tom worked at a photo lab right and this is this was a few years ago this was back when um this was back when photo labs were big like actually developing photos you know what i mean some of you might not know what i mean but most of you do i'm sure so he was you know he was a photo lab technician at one of these big box stores uh, Tom's always been a perfectionist with a fawning appreciation of his customers, and he would work every day in, in labor to ensure that the store's customers get the best quality photos possible. His work was his life. Uh, he had uh, he has nobody, nobody and nothing to go home to at the end of each day, so he spends his evenings sitting alone in his barren living room watching television. Uh, so his favorite customers... Uh, became this family known as the Yorkin family. That's their last name. Uh, Husband, Will, and wife, Nina, and their son, Jake. So Tom started developing photos for these people uh, for many years, and he became obsessed with the family. And he started using his access to their photos to gain an extremely detailed understanding of their personal lives.
1: Kind of creepy, Tom.
0: Uh, Tom secretly started making his own copies of the Yorkins' photos from film negatives, and he used the photos to cover an entire wall in his apartment. He would fantasize about being a member of their family and sharing in the love he assumes they feel. He is painfully shy and socially inept. However, his attempts to become closer to the family are gently rebuffed. So, eventually, Tom manages to spark a connection with Nina, the wife, when he pretends to be interested in a book that he saw her purchase. Nina asks Tom personal questions about his life, realizing that he lives a solitary existence. The next day, his boss, Bill, fires him because he learned that that, that Tom's machine has printed many more prints then have been ordered and paid for as well as for giving jake their son a disposable camera for free on his birthday i mean that's certainly not a policy of the store and for an enormous quarrel in public that he had um with the guy who performed maintenance on one of the photo machines So while inspecting his photos for the last time, Tom discovered that Will, the husband, was having an extramarital affair and his idyllic conception of the Yorkins as the perfect family was shattered. Tom secretly starts placing photos of Will and his mistress, Maya, into a packet of photos that Nina was scheduled to pick up at Save Mart. I guess they have that store over in Australia. In order to make her aware of her husband's infidelity. So Tom follows and takes pictures of Bill's young daughter, the boss, and sends them to Bill as a threat. Yoshi, another Save Mart employee, discovered the pictures and turns them over to Bill, leading to a police investigation against Tom. While detectives Van Der and uh, Outerbridge, well it's fucking weird last names, but Australia, what are you going to do? Discover Tom's obsession. Uh, Tom confronts Will and Maya during a rendezvous in their hotel room. Armed with a knife and camera, Tom forces the lovers to pose naked in sexual positions while he takes pictures. After the confrontation, Tom sees the police have arrived at the hotel and he escapes to an emergency exit. The door trips an alarm and Vanderzee pursues him while Outerbridge discovers Will and Maya, physically unharmed but deeply traumatized. The police apprehend Tom in the parking lot. Upon being arrested, Tom claims... I just took pictures. Van Der Zee interrogates Tom and asks him why he terrorized the Yorkans. Tom states that he can tell Van Der Zee is a good father who would never take disgusting, sick, degrading pictures of his children doing things that children shouldn't do. Tom then asks for the pictures that he took at the hotel, which Vanderzee has described as evidence. They appear to only be shots of objects and furnishings of a hotel room. So, Tom, that was a crazy story, man. I'm sorry I had to bust that wide open on the uh, podcast there, but that was just too good to uh, keep to myself. You know what I mean? I mean, that was just, that was way too good. Um, It's a crazy story, you know? Did it happen? Did it really happen? I don't know. You'll have to ask Tom. Maybe it didn't. Maybe this whole thing was made up. Or maybe it really happened. I don't know. That's, that's really, that's up in the air. That's for you to decide. If you would like a crazy story of yourself read on the uh, podcast, then considering donating to us on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. For the $10 a month tier, you get a crazy story, uh, uh, among many other benefits, but that's for you to uh, decide upon. Oh, wait. No, it's $5 a month you get the crazy story. For $10 a month, you get a bonus segment that you don't get uh, normally on SoundCloud. So, yeah, you get a lot more value for $10 than just a uh, crazy story. But no, for five, you get the crazy story, you get the early podcast, etc. Sometimes I'll throw a bone into the $5 donators uh, section as well. But yeah, it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. So um, anyway, now it's time to move on to the new segment, well, new-ish segment of the podcast called
1: News, News of, the of the Bizarre.
0: News of the Bizarre indeed. So... Um, you know, my brother, like I mentioned last week, my brother has just been doing a great job finding these articles of bizarre ass news, and I just knew he was the guy for the job because my brother just revels in doing this kind of stuff. He he's always into like weird shit as it is. So, I mean, if he gets a chance to like, you know, send me weird news articles, he's definitely going to take that opportunity. So, this one should uh this one should amuse non-Americans. The name of this article is the surprising number of American adults who think chocolate milk comes from brown cows uh, just give me a second you guys uh, I just need a second
1: Just give me a second So yeah there's a, there's a uh, there's a certain amount of Americans that believe that chocolate milk comes from brown
0: cows. All right, let's dive into this. Uh, 7% of all American adults believe that chocolate milk comes from brown cows, according to a nationally representative online survey commissioned by the Innovation Center of U.S. Dairy. If you do the math, that works out to 16.4 million misinformed milk-drinking people. The equivalent of the population of Pennsylvania and then some does not know That chocolate milk is milk, cocoa, and sugar. Oh, my God. Um, But while the survey has attracted snorts and jeers from some corners, um, guys, milk comes from cows and not just the brown kind, snarked food and wine. The most surprising thing about this figure may actually be that it isn't higher. Okay? Uh, For decades, observers in agriculture, nutrition, and education have griped that many Americans are basically agriculturally illiterate. They don't know where food is grown, how it gets to stores, or even, in the case of chocolate milk, what's in it. One Department of Agriculture study commissioned in the early 90s found that nearly one in five adults did not know that hamburgers are made from beef. Many more lacked familiarity with basic farming facts like how big. US farms typically are and what food animals eat. Experts in agricultural education aren't convinced that much has changed in the intervening decades., Quote, "At the end of the day, it's an exposure issue," said C- uh, Cecily Upton, co-founder of the nonprofit Food Corp which brings agricultural and nutritional education into elementary schools. Quote, right now we're conditioned to think that if you need food, you go to the store. Nothing in our educational framework teaches kids where food comes from before that point. Upton and other educators are quick to caution that these conclusions don't apply across the board. Studies have shown that people who live in agricultural communities tend to know a bit more about where their food comes from, as do people with higher education levels and household incomes. Huh. But in some populations, confusion about basic food facts can skew pretty high. When one team of researchers interviewed 4th, 5th, and 6th graders at an urban California school, they found that more than half of them didn't know that pickles were cucumbers or that onions and lettuce were plants. 4 in 10 didn't know that hamburgers came from cows, and 3 in 10 didn't know that cheese is made from milk. Quote, All informants recalled that the names of common foods in raw form and most new foods were grown on farms uh, or in gardens, end quote. The research concluded they did not, however, possess schema necessary to articulate an understanding of post-production activities nor the agricultural crop origin of common foods, end quote. In some ways, this ignorance is perfectly logical. The writer and historian Anne Felicius has argued that it developed in lockstep with the industrial food system. As more Americans moved into cities in the mid-1800s, she writes in the book Kitchen Literacy, fewer were involved in food production or processing. That trend was exacerbated exacerbated, uh, by innovations in transportation and manufacturing that made it possible to ship foods in different forms and over great distances." By the time uniformity, hygiene, and brand loyalty became modern ideals, the latter frequently encouraged by emerging food companies and well-funded ad campaigns, many Americans couldn't imagine the origins of the boxed cereals or shrink-wrapped hot dogs in their kitchens. Today, many Americans only experience food as an industrial product that doesn't look much like the original animal or plant. The USDA says orange juice is the most popular quote-unquote fruit in America, and processed potatoes, in the form of French fries and chip, rank among the top vegetables. Quote, indifference about the origins and production of foods became a norm of urban culture, laying the groundwork for a modern food sensibility that would spread across America in the decades that followed, end quote, Valicius wrote. Of the 20th century, quote, uh, within a relatively brief period, the average distance from farm to kitchen had grown from a short walk down the garden path to a convoluted, 1,500-mile energy-guzzling journey by rail and truck. The past 20 years have seen the birth of a movement to reverse this gap, with agricultural and nutrition groups working to get agricultural education back into classrooms. Aside from Food Corps, which worked with slightly more than 100,000 students this year, groups like the National Agriculture The National Agriculture in the Classroom Organization and the American Farm Bureau Foundation are actively working with K-12 teachers across the country to add nutrition, farm technology, and agricultural economics to lessons in social studies, science, and health. The USDA Farm to School Program, which awarded $5 million in grants for the 2017-2018 school year on Monday, also funds projects on agricultural education. So basically the whole point of this article is there's not enough education about, uh, where your food comes from. Um, yeah, I agree with that to a certain extent. I mean, this is something I'm not going to have a big, you know, rallying cry about, obviously, you know, I mean, this is, uh, something that's important, but at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and like get into some hot debate with someone about it. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that's why I'm able to blindly eat meat because I know that it comes from animals but I don't I mean I kind of know the process of how it happens but I don't really want to know because if I know then I'm probably not gonna want to eat the meat anymore or maybe I will I don't know to me like there's there's a nice disconnect like when you get a steak it, it resembles an animal in no way shape or form um you know Back in the olden days, when you had to kill your food uh, and and eat it to survive, I think that it it toughened you up in in a lot of ways. You know, you you got used to to taking life, you know? I've become such a, uh, you know, such a pansy for uh, animal life nowadays. Even roaches, dude. I hate killing roaches. It's crazy. Like, what? you know, if they invade my house, they're dead, you know, we, we, uh, there's a social contract with me in the, uh, insect world, like, you're cool if you're outside in your home, but once you invade my home uninvited, then just like a human, I'm going to kill you, um, probably shouldn't say that in public or out loud or whatever, I can never run for president because of this podcast. Who's kidding kidding who? I'm way too dumb to ever be president. But then again, we got the president we have now. So who knows? Oh, I just got political. Didn't have... That was not necessary, but you did it anyway. Um, But no, I mean, the the, the fact that there's... uh, The fact, guys... The fact that there's Americans who think that there's... that, That chocolate milk comes from brown cows. I just can't with that information. How stupid... Do you have to be? I can't can't do it. I can't do this anymore. Um they got, the, they got the cutest picture of this brown cow on here. And I'm going to the mall today to have a damn Philly cheesesteak, which probably came from a cow as well. I'm such a fucking hypocrite. Um yeah, no, I think that uh, I think there's probably not enough funding in it, right? I mean, it's all about the money. These big um meat slaughtering plants and these uh, these these uh, industrialized vegetable growers of corn and potatoes and whatever—I mean, that's big money. That's real big money. I mean, you're you're uh, you you interfere with that, then you're interfering with uh, McDonald's pockets and all these other big, you know, Purdue farms and all these other people that that mass produce this food. They're not going to stand for that, you know. That's what they have lobbyists in Washington that that prevent. Uh, these, these possibly good things, like more funding for, uh, you know, an awareness or a knowledge of how agriculture works in the classroom. I, I feel like there's there's lobbyists preventing that because it's going to somehow affect the bottom line of uh, big industry. But I am uh, dangerously going into topics that I have no idea what I'm talking about. And uh, God forbid I get any review of someone saying that I'm an idiot because uh, no one's ever said that before. Speaking of reviews, we haven't gotten a review on iTunes in, like, over a month. Like, we're the whole month of June, not one review, which is weird because we were getting a lot for a while there, and then they just stopped, the good and the bad. It's kind of nice to get the reviews, honestly, you know, because it shows us in ways that we can improve or we can just laugh at how people think we're, we're completely illiterate, me and Mike, which we kind of are. All right, moving on to our next story um, of the Bizarre, News of the Bizarre here. And this one's titled... Sweden's Museum of Failure, a spectacular catalog of the world's worst inventions. Uh, I love this article. My uh, David, David Cannon, my brother, you did an awesome job finding this one. Thank you. Thank you, buddy, if you're listening to this. Uh, but anyway, um, Samuel West is obsessed with failures. In fact, the innovation researcher and organizational psychologist collects them. And now his collection is on display. This is awesome. I want to go to this. Wait, is this in Sweden it said? Sweden. Yeah. Gamely Sweden. That's where we have uh we had our most listeners at. Uh that's not where this museum is, but it's in Sweden. So if you're listening out there in Sweden, uh tell me if, if you've been to this museum before. And uh, join our Facebook group. I don't know how to say that in Swedish. Uh I'm sorry, I just offended all now we have no Swedish listeners. Good job, Josh. You just offended everyone in Sweden. Sie, I want to find say that in German. Ähm um, Wann Sie in Deutschland gelieben, bitte uh, bitte versuche, äh no. Bitte auf äh uh, Schweden besuchen uh, und ins die uh, Museum besuchen und dann schreiben mir auf die uh, Facebook und sagen Sie mir bitte ungefähr uh, das Museum that was really bad German, probably bad grammatically, but that's just off the top of my head here. Uh, anyway, the Museum of Failure, West Brainchild, celebrates the absurd and hilarious wrong turns that companies have taken in their product development. From Colgate's unappetizing beef lasagna to Harley Davidson's leathery scented perfume to Bic's sexist for her ladies pen. They said sexist, not me. That's just, I, I would never inject my personal beliefs into an article like that. If you think it's sexist, that's for you. Um, no comment. I haven't even seen the damn lighter yet, so so get off me. Or no, it's a pen, actually. But it's more than that, too. West's bigger point, he says, is uh, he's sick of everybody worshiping success. Every failure is uniquely spectacular, says West, while success is nauseatingly repetitive. True innovation requires learning from the complexities of each failure, a skill that, he says, most companies fail to hone. <laughs> josh speaking here i can tell you guys all if you guys want to know about failure i can tell you all about failure because that's all my life has been as far as my creative endeavors has just been failures so if you guys ever want to know about failure just just talk to me baby i'll tell you all about it so opening this june in Helsingborg, sweden the museum seeks to uh, destigmatize personal and professional failure like any good museum, the Museum of Failure can be divided into categories, offering a tour of the misguided but often relatable, thinking that leads to a, a, produ- uh, a product bombing. Product. Many of the museum's featured uh, products represent egregious brand overextensions. Colgate, the toothpaste company, tried to ride the 1980s frozen dinner wave with Colgate beef lasagna, for example, but found that people weren't particularly eager to buy frozen pizza from their toothpaste company. So uh, let's just dive into them here, some of these products. Uh, So from 2006 to 2008, we had Coca-Cola Black, a coffee-flavored Coke drink. It only lasted two years, obviously. Anyone remember that, Coca-Cola Black? I don't. Um, Here we have... Harley-Davidson, the cult motorcycle brand, delightfully flopped with its hot rod perfume. Nothing like the fragrance of a leathery motorcycle to boost the spirits. Other products failed because of their awful design. There's the Nokia N-Gage, the smartphone and handheld gaming system released in 2003. The N-Gage was, quite simply, terribly designed it had to be disassembled to change games very few games were available and you had to open it like a taco to use the phone I remember that damn Nokia N-Gage holy crap man do I remember that phone I remember they had Tomb Raider on the Nokia N-Gage and I remember the big thing about it was the graphics were supposed to be equivalent to that of a Nintendo 64 I don't know if you guys remember the Nintendo 64 or not, but it came out after the Super Nintendo. And yeah, it was supposed to be a ha- it was, you know, it was a phone, it was a cell phone. And you remember how bad cell phones looked in the early 2000s. Uh, it, uh, yeah, it, 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 it looked like a um, Game Boy Advance if you know what that looks like, the first model of Game Boy Advance. But yeah, it was a phone, but it had these, like, these games and they had really good graphics. And that thing flopped. And I remember that thing, too. That was crazy the okay up next we have the twitter peak was a similar failure released in 2008 the single use tweeting device sought to bypass expensive cell phone data except its screen was too small for 140 characters and it couldn't handle more than a few messages huh so apparently this was a device that that only that was only uh for twitter That is, uh, I mean, if I already thought Twitter was useless, having a a separate device just to use Twitter, wow, forget about that. Um, Then there were products that weren't in themselves a failure, but were part and parcel of thinking that ultimately doomed their companies. Take the Blockbuster DVD. Internal feuding led the formerly undisputed video rental leader to fire a CEO who promoted streaming and a subscription-based DVD rental. Uh, it might have not been a good uh, decision in uh, looking back there. And to cut the company's budding streaming service, that was of course a disastrous move. Blockbuster's failure to adapt ensured its 2013 bankruptcy and paved Netflix's road to success. Um I don't know if that's I don't know if I completely agree with that statement. Um Blockbuster w- was making most of its profit from late fees, right? So if you broke down like a pie chart of Blockbuster's revenue, it was like 70% of it was from rentals, but if you broke that down even more so, like 80% of that revenue was from late fees. I mean, that's how they made their money. You know, you rent the the movie and you didn't turn it in on time and they charged your account and that's, that's how they made most of their profit. So the only way that that you can really function on that kind of model is to have kind of like brick and mortar stores, like actual physical stores that people have to turn the physical media back to. So for Blockbuster to really truly compete with Netflix, they would have had to have shut down all their stores and liquidated all their inventory and then just go to this streaming thing. They would have had to have been like like hulu basically they would have had to have done like a hulu or amazon prime thing where they were just only completely online and that's the only way they truly could have competed with netflix in the way that you know apples to apples kind of way um there's no way that they could have remained a physical media store and continue and competed with netflix it's two totally different markets It just there's no way so i mean they were fucked three ways from sunday or however that phrase goes Similarly, Kodak's digital camera could have facilitated the company's continued dominance had the company realized that online photo sharing was the future. Instead, it continued to chase photo printing and went bankrupt in 2012, months before Facebook bought Instagram for $1 billion. Holy crap. First of all, I didn't know Kodak declared bankruptcy. That's kind of sad. Jeez. I am so old. I remember all this shit being like... When I was a kid, man, Like, that's all you did was you bought a disposable Kodak camera from the store and then you went to Blockbuster and ran a movie and that was your Friday and Saturday night. Like, what the fuck, man? All this shit is totally obsolete now. Some products are just ludicrous and funny like this terrifying mask promoted by actress Linda Evans in 1999 which supposedly beautified by electrically shocking your face numerous times a month. Oh, man, this thing's terrifying. It looks like the man in the iron mask, like how that mask looked. That's kind of how this looks. Um, West wants his exhibit to encourage organizational cultures that respect rather than deride or ignore failure. Such cultures require uh, psychological safety, he says, an atmosphere that allows people to share human, share imperfections, and ask, quote-unquote, dumb questions without being criticized or judged. Sounds like a place for me. Uh, psychological safety doesn't just help employees bond; it significantly amplifies a team's productivity, success, and innovation. Now, I will say that's true. If you're in a in a culture where you're not allowed to say ignorant things or ask ignorant questions, then how the fuck are you ever going to improve as a person? And that's what annoys me about political correctness to so much is because you know you're not going to know that you're that something. You're not going to know that something is wrong, or offensive, or whatever if you're... I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to say here. Basically, I'm annoyed how like you have to be non-offensive 100% of the time now, and that's just not going to happen. I mean, people are people, and they're going to say offensive shit from time to time. And that doesn't mean you have the right to be outraged by it. You can disagree with them, but don't be a dick and be all like, you are such an ignorant asshole piece of shit blah 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 it's like well maybe if that person offends you just don't hang out with that guy or girl don't talk to them don't associate with them you know you don't gotta stand on your fucking soapbox on facebook and you know condemn all men or women or whatever i don't know i'm not even gonna get into that topic but anyway yeah you should be allowed to ask dumb questions from time to time that's how you learn um all right guys i think that's the fucking podcast Jeez, that was uh that was something i feel like i've talked way more than uh normally because mike's not here to uh pick up the slack I'm trying to see my list here to see if uh there's anything else i've missed here um no i think that's it so yeah that's the podcast i hope everybody enjoyed just me and just my voice and just my thoughts on things and um Yeah, so if you want to like us on Facebook, I already told you how you can do that. Facebook.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. If you want to support us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. And if you want to buy my new album that I put out a week or so ago, that would be great. You can get that by going on iTunes or uh, almost any of the online retailers. If you want a physical CD... Uh, You can go on bandcamp.com and I will have the link in the description of this podcast. So make sure you check that link and click on the uh, bandcamp link if you want to get an actual physical CD from me. And for those of you out there who already got one, thank you guys so much. Seriously, you have no idea how appreciative I am that you would support me in that way. Um, And I think that's everything. So um, yeah, I hope everybody has a good rest of their day and uh mike should be back as soon as his throat clears or he uh becomes a man and grows a pair of testes no i'm just joking um so yeah he should be back next week i think he said he was doing a bonus segment or something on the patreon anyway guys have a good rest of your day or night see you later What's up, guys? The new Dancing with Ghosts album that I have been working on is out now. You can buy it on iTunes or Bandcamp.com or anywhere else online where music is sold. Uh, If you go on Bandcamp, you can get a CD, a compact disc. Isn't that old school and retro of me? Remember those? Uh, or you could just message me on Facebook and say, hey, I want a copy of your CD, and I will mail it out to you. But, uh, yeah, it's out now, and it is it is finished, and it's uh, some good stuff. So uh, if you want to go out and check that out, then, uh, like I said, search iTunes anywhere else, uh, music is sold online, or go to bandcamp.com and search Dancing with Ghosts. Thank you. Just as I fucking suspected, during the filming of this podcast, um, recording this podcast, I should say, that fucking neighbor of mine knocked on my fucking door yet again and asked for fucking money. So I, I hate to say it, folks. I just I just pay the dude off. I, you know, I just, just want to end it. We're done. We're done, son. Enough. Enough with the asking me for money. So I gave him 10 bucks and pretty much told him to go fuck himself. Um, He's telling me it took him four tanks of gas to cut my backyard. I know that yard got out of control. I know the backyard got crazy, all right? Uh, You could almost say it was a jungle. But, I mean, good Lord, man. That just the... Should have told me that he was going to need that amount before he cut the grass. You know, he should have... If you're going to if you're going to have a sliding scale on how you price shit, then tell me you have a sliding scale. Oh, it's $20 unless unless your yard is ridiculously crazy. You know, whatever. So I just said, you know, we're done after this. I said, I'm going to give you this money, but we're done. I don't like people coming up to my ha- my house knocking on my door asking me for money. So I'm going to give you this money and we're good. We're done. Don't fucking come up here anymore. Fuck. He better not either, man. He comes up again. I'll be like, hey, just go. Go. We got no more business, okay? This has been asking you to do my lawn was the biggest mistake. I have ever made my entire life. No, I've made a lot more bigger mistakes than that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Wow. All those applause. All right. Uh, This is a song uh, by a band that I really like. Some of you seem to like it when I play songs. And I don't have any post-roll stuff, obviously, because uh, Mike's not here, so, you know, not not a whole lot of, well, trust me, I did fuck up, but I don't know how entertaining that's going to be. So to supplement all that, here's a song by the uh, Smashing Pumpkins. Hope you enjoy it, and uh, don't judge me on anything here, because I'm very insecure right now.
1: We will never be the same The more you change The less you feel Believe Believe in me Believe Believe the life can change That you're not stuck in vain No same with different tonight I never fade in your city by the lake place you're born where you can go. I think these lyrics aren't right on this website oh well please believe, believe in me believe believe and resolute the urgency of now Change tonight, 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 so bright. Tonight, tonight, we'll crucify the insincere tonight. Tonight, we'll make things right, we'll feel it this song <laughs> oh my
0: god all right so i never practiced that song i just kind of knew it on guitar and you know the lyrics aren't right and stuff so um yeah see this is the thing about me doing these covers and some people said they liked it so now like i'm i'm getting in my head too much about it and like it just gotta know that this is like simple and it's not meant to be good so that was simple and not meant to be good so uh yeah have good uh, have a good night
1: From the wrong side of town Where I'm bound to the ground By the loneliest sound That pounds from within And is bringing me down Here is a page From the emptiest stage A cage Oh, the heaviest cross ever made, oh, a gauge of the deadliest trap ever laid. And I thank you for bringing me here, for showing me home, for singing these tears. Finally, I found that I. The heat and the sickly sweet-smelling sheets That cling to the backs of my feet and my knees but I'm drowning in time to a desperate beat and I thank you for bringing me here for showing me home for singing these tears finally I found that I belong